0: Hello, and welcome to the Hardcore Zen Podcast. My name is Brad Warner. I will be your host. I am the author of Hardcore Zen, Letters to a Dead Friend About Zen, Sit Down and Shut Up, Zen Wrapped in Karma, Dipped in Chocolate, and many other fine books about Zen Buddhism and other stuff. This podcast is sponsored by you. Your donations are what keep it going. And if you'd like to donate, go to hardcorezen.info slash donate. That is hardcorezen.info slash donate. There you will find links to to my PayPal and Patreon accounts. That is my main way of making a living these days, and I thank you for your support. But as always, this podcast is offered for free, so you don't gotta pay if you don't wanna pay. All right, we are up to the sixth and, I hope, final part of my commentary on Yuibutsu Yobutsu, which my teacher translates as Buddhas Alone Together with Buddhas. It's an essay by Dogen that I happen to like a lot. And if you want to hear the whole essay read by me in my own sort of paraphrase of it, in the style of what I did with my books Don't Be a Jerk and... Uh, what is it called? Um, what, is that? what is that one called? It came from beyond Zen. That's what it's called. Uh, you can go to the first episode in this series and I read it all. Or if you want to read it with your eyeballs, become a member of my Patreon thingy. I don't know what you call it, Patreon account? Anyway, become a, a Patreon supporter of me. That's what you can do at any level, even a dollar a month or, or whatever the lowest level they allow, and you'll be able to see the the thing just there with your eyeballs. Yeah, that makes sense, right? So, where are we now? Dogen has talked to us about a lot of stuff, and I'm just going to jump into the next section here without too much preliminary. And what does it say? Okay, here's what it says. When the truth is being practiced by the original mind of the Buddhas of past, present, and future, how could anything possibly get in the way of this very moment? And if you're looking at this on Patreon, you will notice that there is a little error. It shouldn't say when the truth that is being practiced, it should just say when the truth is being practiced. So when the truth is being practiced by the original minds of the Buddhist past, present, future, this I am... I'm, leaving, I'm giving you pretty much the Nishijima cross-translation here. The only thing I've changed is they just say Buddhas of the Three Times and I changed it to Buddhas of the Past, Present, and Future. But it's a weird thing to say. Because when you say when the truth is being practiced by the Buddhas of the Three Times, it would sort of imply that there are times when it's being practiced by those Buddhas and times when it's not. The, the original... Uh, words that I just uh, had a look at in Japanese, say, mata, which to me sort of implies already, uh, that when, because the truth is already being practiced by the Buddhists of the past, present, and future, how could anything possibly get in the way of this very moment? I mean, you could almost just say, how could anything possibly get in the way of this very moment? This very moment is exactly what it is. Nothing can get in the way, nothing can hinder it. Things as they are now, are exactly as they are now, but Dogen seems to want to remind us that this very moment is the moment when Buddhas of the past, present, and future are practicing in their original mind, or the original mind of the Buddha's present. So this is the original mind of Buddha's past, present, and future. Let's just keep going. The real truth is beyond knowing and beyond understanding. Whether you know the truth, or not, does not affect the truth at all. Sorry for the weird pause, I just noticed another typo. I'm really sorry for you people who are actually paying for my Patreon, I gotta be better for you, but there's another typo in there. Uh, There's the word it is stuck in there and it doesn't doesn't belong there. So uh, whether you know the truth or not doesn't affect the truth at all. This is sort of my interpretation of what Dogen is saying. Uh, when he says the truth is beyond knowing and beyond understanding. So it doesn't matter if you know the truth or not. It doesn't change the truth. The truth doesn't change according to whether you know it or you don't know it. So this is uh, useful in, in the sense that there are people who think that an experience of enlightenment changes things or changes the person or changes everything. And in a sense, subjectively, it does change everything. But in another sense, you're still exactly who you are or who you were before that moment. And the truth is still exactly what the truth is at that moment. So it doesn't necessarily change the person to experience it. It. Hmm. I mean, this is a hard one to, to talk about. Every time I, I start talking about this stuff, I feel like I'm digging myself into a hole. It changes things, and yet it doesn't change things, which sounds like one of those Zen cliches. But those Zen cliches are there for a reason, because that's kind of how it is. It changes everything, but you're still the same person that you were before. Your, your sort of karmic existence is what it is but knowing what your karmic existence actually is will change how you perform from that moment on and change how you view things and change how you understand things drastically. So let's keep moving on. An ancient person said, even when all of our illusions come crashing down, nothing really changes. Oh boy, I just said that, didn't I? Okay, thank you, Dogen. Everything the Buddhas have told us is true. Mountains, rivers, and the great earth are nothing but the revealed body of the Dharma king. People today should try to understand this ancient saying. So this Dharma king is, I wrote in here my notes, Dharma Svamin. Uh, and I didn't make further notes on exactly what that means, but that must be the Sanskrit term. And anyway, I'm not really concerned about this. Dharma king is just another way of saying the Dharma body, the the revealed Buddha. You know, he uses a lot of different words for the same thing, and, and he's quoting somebody else, so this person probably said Dharma king. But I like this line, even when our illusions come crashing down, nothing really changes. This is what I just told you, nothing really changes about the world, but everything changes. Now I got a little bit interpretive with this, but it's something that that I felt was important. I'm going to read you the Nishijima cross translation. They say an ancient person said, even the crashing down of illusions is nothing different fluency is beyond discussion. Mountains, rivers, and the earth are just the total revelation of the dharma king's body. And this uh, thing they've translated as fluency literally means vertical and horizontal, and their footnote says, describes the fluency of a Buddhist preaching of the dharma. The same words appear in The opening paragraph of chapter one, Bendoa, when we speak of the Dharma, it fills the mouth. It has no restriction vertically or horizontally. Now, you might notice that I did add something here. I added the line, everything the Buddhas have told us is true. Uh, As I've said in uh, earlier episodes of this podcast, I'm not really sure, because I wrote this paraphrase maybe, it's been almost three months ago now, maybe even more, before I went on my recent tour of Europe at the end of, or at the entire month of September 2021, I prepared this as something I was going to lecture about on tour, and then I decided to go a different route and not lecture on it. And so I'm not sure why I, there's a couple of places where I added lines that are not in the original, and that's kind of not my usual practice, so I'm not sure why I did that but this line is something i want to say you know so so this is not dogan saying this but it's something i want to say which is everything the buddhists have told us is true it doesn't sound so different from other things dogan said so that's that's why it's not too bad that i stuck it in here myself but it's something that came up for me on, on one of these great moments of of insight or whatever one wants to call it was going oh my gosh everything that I've learned was true, that, that all of this stuff that I'd heard which I thought was metaphorical or or I thought people were being cagey with me. My teachers were, were just kind of not telling me uh, the whole deal or something like that or, 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 or just kind of hiding something from me. I realized that they had been telling me and the books I'd read too had been telling me the literal truth of things all along and I just was not able to see it. And now being able to see it, it's sometimes difficult for me to have conversations with people who can't see it uh, because I forget that oh they they don't they, they haven't noticed this they haven't noticed what this place really is and I try my best to just say it over and over and over just like all of these old ancient texts but sometimes it just comes out wonky so that's uh, that's why I threw that in there. Mountains, rivers, and the great earth are nothing but the revealed body of the Dharma king. That is... That, I think, is a way to express the same understanding I myself uh, came across You know, at at that moment was, oh my gosh, this is this that I'm looking at. I'm gesturing and you can't see it because it's a podcast and it's audio. But this, this whole world is the body of the Dharma king. The body of the Dharma king is a funny way to put it because it makes it sound like there's a, you know, I'm thinking of that, uh, the ice, what's the ice king? No, what the heck? The, The king on Adventure Time. If you ever saw the, the the cartoon show Adventure Time, he's like a long, got a long beard and a, you know, a king hat, you know, a king hat, a crown on his head. It's it's not that. It's just kind of metaphorical. But he, he's saying that this is, this world we're living in is the revealed truth. And that's something that's that's difficult. It's even difficult for me having kind of seen through it to keep remembering oh this is the revealed truth this thing that I'm living through right now no matter what I think it is is the revealed truth this is it this is it right here And the only thing wrong, if one can say anything is wrong, is that I keep missing it. I keep misunderstanding it, or I keep thinking it's something other than what it is, or I keep relating it to this person that I think I am, this individual that I think I am, whereas there is no individual here. There is, in in a conventional sense, there is an individual here, and that individual has a role to play. But in a more universal sense, there's nobody here at all. There's just what's going on, and that's that. Let's see. Let's keep going on. Whatever we encounter in life is the revealed body of the Dharma king, which is, I think, what I just said. Even the illusions we have are also the revealed body of the Dharma king. This is another uh, kind of idea that Dogen says over and over in his, in his teachings. And one of the ways... I understood this very early on in my practice. It relates to a story which I've told a few times, so some of you who watched, and watched my videos and listened to my stuff and read my books have probably heard me tell this story, but here it goes. There was a point early on in my practice where I wasn't yet kind of... Uh, feeling close enough to my first teacher Tim to to really ask him about some of the stuff I wanted to ask him about, I was kind of a little intimidated by him, uh, which is weird because he's the least intimidating guy in the world. But you know, I was a little bit like, oh, should I ask that? So I I I was uh, involved with this person who was a born again Christian at the time. It's an embarrassing story, but anyway. She didn't like the fact that I was uh, practicing Zen, and she had some conversations with Tim about enlightenment, and Tim listened to her and said, oh, Brad will never be enlightened. And then she reported this with great glee back to me. Oh, Brad, Tim says you'll never be enlightened, you know, like that kind of thing. And which really depressed me because I thought, oh, you know, he's he's the the master and he knows, you know, this is the way I thought of him at the time. And he knows all and sees all and he can see that I will never be enlightened. And oh, my gosh, this is awful. And so I felt dejected but i was still pretty committed to the practice because i guess by then i'd understood the usefulness of it you know and i wanted to keep doing it because it helped it helped everyday life it helped me get through the day to practice zazen in every morning so i wasn't going to stop and i thought well You know, instead of trying to be enlightened, I'm going to dedicate my search or my, yeah, I guess search is a good enough word for it, to understanding, to fully understanding the unenlightened experience. And I wasn't familiar enough with Dogen at that point to know that that's really sounds like something Dogen himself might have come up with. But um, I I like that and I, I offer it fairly often, I I tell this story, you know, a lot, because I think it was a useful thing for me to just go, okay, I'm not going to worry about getting enlightened, I'm going to worry about fully and completely understanding unenlightenment as it is. And, And that's, I think, what Dogen is saying when he says, even the illusions we have are also the revealed body of the Dharma king. This ancient person understood this. This is uh, Dogen again. It's like how we can say that mountains are upon the earth, or we can say that the earth is the basis on which mountains exist. So kind of six of one, half a dozen of the other is kind of a, a phrase like that. When we understand this, we can see that our unenlightened mind does not obstruct enlightenment. So your unenlightened mind, my unenlightened mind, does not obstruct enlightenment. So there's nothing getting in the way of, of enlightenment. This, un, this unenlightenment isn't getting in the way of enlightenment. It is enlightenment, he is he's saying. The understanding we have now does not destroy our past misunderstanding, and the misunderstanding we had in the past does not return and destroy the understanding we have now. They are like spring and autumn, never getting in each other's way. And that's kind of an important bit to me. The understanding we have now does not destroy our past misunderstanding. So whatever whatever happened in the past, we, we don't destroy it, but the misunderstanding... Uh, that we had in the past doesn't return. So that's an interesting concept, because to me, sometimes it seemed like my past misunderstanding does return. You know, there are, there are moments when I I feel like, ah, you know, I, I had this experience, and I had this kind of depth of understanding at one point in my life, and now it's gone. You know, and that would be a uh, A way of saying that would be that my misunderstanding that I had in the past has returned, but it hasn't returned. In in a sense, the the karmic elements that came together to form the individual body mind that I call Brad, and that some of you people call Brad, and some of you people call dirty names sometimes probably. That is what it is, and that has to kind of go on as it is, and it will have whatever problems it has. I'm not trying to excuse my faults or anything by, by saying this. It's just that it is what it is, as the, you know as the kids today say. And the fact that it is what it is is part of the revealed truth of the universe, that that I am what I am, that I am the person who who reacts the way I react to the things. I am the thing, the, the individual that I think I am is just a kind of bundle of impressions and reactions and things, and those don't change, but there is something that sees through that lens and in a sense the individual can gradually come to identify itself with the thing that's actually looking through the lens of the individual. I guess that's a a weird way to put it but that's that's where I'm going to leave it for now because I want to kind of keep going with this. Here we go. The reason we have not understood spring and autumn is this. And remember, in spring and autumn are a metaphor for, you know, past and present. So, I, I would assume he's saying autumn being now. Maybe he's writing this in the autumn. And spring being the past. Even though spring and autumn have been shouting their truth at us, the truth has not entered our ears. When we are not receptive, we cannot hear their voices, no matter how loudly they shout. We will understand when their voices finally enter our ears and samadhi becomes apparent. So the the truth is screaming at us all the time. And I've tried many different ways in my own writings to paraphrase this idea of Dogen, that the truth is just screaming at us as loud as it can. And yet somehow we miss it. Somehow we we just pass it by when we are not receptive, he says, we cannot hear our voices. And the, the way we make ourselves receptive is through doing a practice like Zazen. There are other practices, but Zazen is the one I know and the one I teach, and it's the one I rely on. And by doing those practices, we become receptive, and the voice can finally enter our ears, as Dogen puts it and samadhi becomes apparent samadhi is a word that often is used to denote some kind of special consciousness so people imagine that samadhi is a is a special state that one attains through practice and that idea is not altogether wrong because there you can say that there are special states that come and go but Dogen often uses samadhi as a way of saying this moment is samadhi so so samadhi is not something that you work towards and gain in the future and then maybe lose in the future or or you had in the past and now you've lost it or or you know comes and goes like a a momentary state samadhi is another way of saying the enlightenment that exists here and now, no matter whether we see it or not. And samadhi becoming apparent would be the moments that we usually characterize as, okay, this is a moment of samadhi. It it, it would be characterized by Dogen, I think. I'm putting words in his mouth, but I would say that he would say that those are moments when samadhi becomes apparent, not when samadhi happens, but when it becomes apparent. And Dogen continues, saying, Still, we shouldn't think that understanding is small while misunderstanding is great. Whatever we may think we are, what we really are is far beyond that. And this, I'm following Nishijima and Cross's translation here, but looking at the original Japanese, The word they are translating as we is watakushi. And watakushi is uh, a more formal version of watashi. And if anybody who's taken a first lesson in Japanese knows the word watashi because it means me. So another way of looking at this or another way of reading this is whatever I think I am, what I really am is far beyond that. So Dogen seems to be writing almost to himself here if we read it that way. Real knowing can't be known as an object by a self who is the subject. And here again, I took some liberties because the two lines I just read you are actually a paraphrase of what Dogen says, or or this is the Nishjima cross translation of what Dogen says. We should remember that because we are beyond matters we have conceived privately, the Dharma king is like this. And To me, that was just a phrase that was really, really hard to understand, and uh, sitting and thinking about it a little bit and trying to kind of come up with a way to put it that's not quite as mm, mm, difficult or murky as that. Whatever we think we are, what we really are is far beyond that, and knowing can't be known by an object uh, known as an object by itself, who is the subject. So uh, Dogen doesn't actually say that there. That's me saying that there. But I think that's our perennial problem. And it comes up in Dogen's philosophy, and it comes up in Advaita Vedanta philosophy, and it comes up in a lot of philosophies, that that what we tend to do is we try to know an object as a subject. So I'm over here, and I'm looking at this microphone with a a dirty old sock stuck over it, because I use that to to stop the wind when I'm outside. Uh, So that's what I'm looking at. So I am here as a self, as the subject, and the microphone is the object. What Dogen is talking about is a kind of understanding that transcends all of that. So so that understanding is included within it. The subject-object understanding is part of the full knowing that he's talking about. But it's the the more complete understanding is to is to get rid of the whole subject and object dichotomy. Sorry, I think I bumped the mic, so if you heard a sound, that's what that was. But to get rid of the whole subject object object dichotomy entirely which sounds impossible, but it's actually not impossible. It it can be done. Uh, so let me continue with Dogen. No matter what we might think, the Dharma king is exactly what he is. So everything is exactly what it is. And let's keep going with the paraphrase of Dogen. As for the meaning of the phrase, the body of the Dharma king, the eye is just like the body, and the body is just like the mind. <sighs> There's one of those Zenny phrases, and I didn't change that a whole lot from the, uh, the translation by Nishjima and Cross. Let me see if I can find that. Here's what they say. As to the meaning of the body of the Dharma king, the eye is like the body, and the mind may be equal to the body. It may be that both the mind and the body without the slightest separation are totally revealed. Which, in my paraphrase, the totally revealed part, I, I kind of kept it pretty much as as it was. If you're looking at the Patreon page, you'll see that. Mind and body without the slightest separation are totally revealed is what I have there. So that is weird. The eye is like the body and the body is like the mind. Honestly, sometimes I find Dogen just as incomprehensible as anybody else. So I'll take a stab at this one. The I usually means the way of understanding something. So an I, in Dogen's phrase, usually indicates an attitude or... Yeah, and, and it's actually, I think the word he, the the reason that he uses the word I is because he wants something bigger than just attitude or opinion or point of view. Uh, so he uses I as a kind of metaphorical way of saying the, the I which, you know, it becomes a kind of pun in English, which, of course, Dogen didn't know English. He did probably didn't even know England existed. You know, it wasn't known to the Japanese at the time. But we have this nice, the I, he's saying, it could be the I, as in I, the the letter I. So the I is like the body, and the body is just like the mind. So our... What we are is the body you know the the body that we have is kind of a a karmic result i keep saying this of actions that happened in the past which is not necessarily related to an individual subject but is perceived by us in our condition that we find ourselves in as we are by most of us as a subject as a thing so the body and the mind are the same body and mind without the slightest separation are totally revealed so again he's saying that it it it's here it is It's right there in front of us, and yet we continuously miss it. And he goes on. In the bright light of understanding, we see that preaching the Dharma reveals the Dharma king, just as he has been described. Preaching of the Dharma. What the heck does he mean by that? I don't know, but I take it that he means speaking about it. One of the interesting things that happened to me when I was... Sort of forced into teaching by Nishijima Roshi, uh, he kind of made me an offer I couldn't refuse. In a sense, he asked me to take over the lectures he was doing on Saturday afternoons, which he'd been doing for I don't know decades. Uh, it, it, this English language lecture that he'd done every Saturday at one p.m. for you know who knows how long since since the '70s sometime, and this would have been in the mid '90s or no late '90s that he asked me maybe early 2000s he asked me to take over and i realized after doing it for a while that just speaking about it was a way to learn about it and this is something a lot of people find out when they begin to teach when you begin to teach some something that you know to somebody else the teaching of it reveals more of it to the person who's who's preaching and and in that sense It's one of the reasons I do what I do. It's not uh, really this kind of selfless, like I'm going to teach all you poor people out there the dharma that I know. Aren't you lucky to hear from me? The the fact is that by teaching it to others, I learn about it myself. And I really enjoy that. And it really extends my my own practice. But this does kind of raise a question as I'm saying it. There is a sense in Buddhism that not everybody should preach the dharma. Well, anybody can can talk about what they know about Buddhism to others. There's nothing wrong with that. And so you shouldn't feel intimidated to just tell other people, you know, about meditation or about some book that you read or or something like that. But To represent yourself as a teacher of the Dharma is something that should not be taken lightly. It should be taken extremely seriously and really in our tradition one does not teach on one's own until one is given permission by a teacher and permission by a teacher means a Dharma transmission ceremony. Uh, even somebody who is ordained as a priest, and especially somebody who's, ju- who's been given jukai, which is taking the precepts, that's not usually considered enough to go out on your own and say, here I am, the teacher. But when a teacher expresses enough confidence in a student to say, okay, you can go off and teach on your own and then gives the Dharma transmission ceremony, this is something within the Zen tradition that we, we hold very sacred. And so you've got to be careful, I would say, in in the sense that if you're going to tell other people about the Dharma, you know, remember the opening words of most sutras, which Ananda says, "Thus have I heard," And then he expresses what he expresses. so he's not claiming. A revelation for himself he's saying this is what I heard from my teacher who was his cousin who was who happened to be the Buddha and and he's talking about that so so there you go and now he after that stuff he kind of winds up the essay with with something completely different to misquote Monty Python so here we go In ancient times, there was a saying that only a fish can know the mind of fish, and only a bird can follow the tracks that other birds leave in the sky. Not many people understand what this really means. Some people think that it means that human beings don't know the minds of birds or fish. They don't understand the deeper implications of this old saying. Here's what it means. And finally Dogen is going to stop being cagey with us and he, he gives us a line which says here's what it means. He's going to explain it. It means that fish together with fish always know each other's minds. Fish are never ignorant of each other's minds the way we human beings are. When they swim upstream to spawn, they all know what's going on with each other. They move as one throughout through the rocks and against the currents because their minds are one. Only fish can partake in this one mind of fish. And I did change this because he gives, he talks about uh, fish uh, going through the Dragon's Gate and climbing the nine mountains of, I don't know what it was. It's, it, he's talking about a, a specific way that fish spawn in China, and it's the same thing in the American Northwest. There's a, you always see these nature documentaries with the, I think they're the salmon uh, who go upstream you know leave the ocean and go upstream to spawn and then i think they die there or or a lot of them don't make it back or maybe they do i don't remember but anyway they all go at once and they all know what time it is and that's what he's referring to and they are never ignorant of each other's minds the way we human beings are is an interesting thing to to think about because we don't know the minds of fish and birds uh, but there is a sense that there's one mind. And he doesn't necessarily mean that we that these these fish read each other's minds. Like they, you know, like in a science fiction show where suddenly, you know, that you hear the voice of the character, but he's not speaking because the, the mind reader is reading his mind. It's not like that. It's sort of opening your eyes to the fact that there is only one fish. In the world. This is one of the other things that kind of came through or became apparent in some of my own moments of insight was that we think of human beings as being each different. Like I'm different from from you and you're different from me and that guy over there is a dork and I hate him and and he's way different from me and you know whatever you think of the president you know he's either awful or he's great but uh, he's different from you and you have strong opinions about that what i saw was that human beings are incredibly alike like in 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 a to a depth that i had never even dared to imagine before human beings are almost exactly alike the the differences between us are really really superficial and yet we in our minds, make a huge deal out of the differences. We make such a big deal that they seem more significant than they are. They seem way more significant than they are. They're they're blown completely out of proportion. The differences between us and we, it's it's like we've put on a pair of bizarre magnifying glass glasses that that we're just seeing this little speck on the sidewalk and it looks like a boulder and we're like, oh my god, we got to get around that giant boulder. Oh geez. You know, and we're getting all freaked out about it. That's one metaphor I can think of. The other metaphor I can think of is, um, well, this is a bad one, but I'll give it anyway. Every Ramones song sounds the same. If you're not a fan of the Ramones, they do all sound the same, and they they're they're uh, they're almost all based on a, a one four five chord progression. If you know anything about music, it doesn't really matter. Just don't know that they're that almost every Ramones song is based on the same damn chord progression. They just keep using it over and over. But if you're a fan of the Ramones and you're really into the Ramones, you can hear the differences, and the differences become important and interesting, and and maybe that's. Maybe the metaphor isn't as bad as I said it was. Maybe that's because we are so interested in humanity as human beings, then we're interested in the details that make us different. But because we've become so fascinated by those differences, we don't don't suspect how deep the similarities go. And in moments of clarity, one can sometimes see how deep the similarities are. And that is... Really instructive. Uh, Really instructive. So let's just keep going on. When birds fly through the air, they leave behind traces that can be perceived by other birds, just like horses leave tracks that we can see in the mud. We walking creatures can't see these tracks of birds, we don't even imagine they exist. But birds can perceive them clearly. They know which birds have flown where and how many, just like a good tracker can tell how many buffalo have gone down a path and when. So... uh... You might be inclined to quibble with this and say, okay, we've done modern scientific studies and we know that birds fly together because they see magnetic lines or something. I remember reading something about how birds might be sensitive to the magnetism in ways that human beings aren't and they might be able to follow the, the, the magnetic poles of the Earth somehow. I don't remember how it worked. But it's modern scientific... Anyway it's not like they're reading each other's minds. That might be an, obje- an objection someone would raise. They, they just know the electrical stuff and they're not reading each other's minds or they just follow the weather patterns or whatever. But this, when Dogen talks about mind, remember that mind is fences, walls, tiles, and pebbles, the sun, the moon, and the stars. So everything is mind. So when he says knows the mind, then birds knowing the electrical currents or the magnetic lines of the earth or whatever it is, that is, in Dogen's way, I don't think he would take it back. I don't think he would say, oh, no, I was wrong. You know, my bad. It's uh, it's just the ley line or the magnetic lines. It's that he, he knows, that he would say that this is the mind of birds is the is. The magnetism of the earth is part of the mind of birds, because it's not separate from them. So, uh, so I, I think this is a, a, good, a good phrase, and, and, uh, and we should stick with it even if we think we know better scientifically. So let's keep going. This same principle applies to Buddhas as well. They know how many ages other Buddhas have spent in practice. They can see large Buddhas and small ones, even when no one else realizes these people are Buddhas. And that is my paraphrase of a line that, in the Nishijima cross version, goes: They suppose how many ages Buddhas have spent in practice, and they know small Buddhas and great Buddhas, even among those who have gone un, uh, who have gone uncounted. Uh, those who have gone uncounted, I think that's interesting. My my own first teacher would probably be among the Buddhas who have, who have gone uncounted. He, I've kind of outed him a little bit by writing about him in books and talking about him, but he still manages to conceal himself pretty well. Uh, he doesn't want to be counted. He doesn't want to be found, and I respect that. In fact, I feel a little bit. Ashamed of myself for maybe craving fame too much and coming out in the public. But then again, I also know that there's a space and there's a need for people like me, too. People who are who are the, the famous teachers have to be around, too, because that's that's also how people are reached. But I, I have more respect for the uncounted Buddhas. Uh, I think those are the real Buddhas. And I think if you're lucky enough to find one of those uncounted Buddhas, or if you're lucky enough to find somebody who you can recognize as somebody who has a, a, a line on the truth, <laughs> that's probably not a good way to put it. But you can sometimes recognize somebody who has the truth that other people haven't recognized. And I think that's a wonderful thing to be able to do, and you're lucky if you can find one of those people. So don't be too seduced by the fame of a teacher. Don't don't think that, that this teacher is the famous one, therefore the best one. I don't think the best teachers are necessarily the famous ones. And I would say, you know, holding myself up as an example, I think there are better teachers than me, but... I've never met them you know they're they're the secret ones they're the ones who don't shout very loudly Uh, those are the ones you should pay attention to so Dogen is saying that Buddhas recognize great ones and small ones even the uncounted ones and he goes on, there's plenty of stuff that those who are not Buddhas don't know at all. So this is uh, this is interesting, because he seems to, you know, at once we have this teaching, which is a very strong foundational teaching that we, in Buddhism, that we are all Buddhas, but Dogen also makes the distinction that there are things that people who are not Buddhas just don't know, and I think that's true. There, there are things that that one knows Having experienced them, that somebody who has not experienced them don't know, and you can you can just think of uh, you know a, a mundane example. There there are things that bass players know that uh, people who don't play bass don't know. You know, I I pick that up because I play bass guitar, and and there are things that uh, take take my take my wife, please, <laughs> old henny Youngman. man. One of the things that my wife and I have bonded on is is our love of music. She really is a music fan but she's not well, I wouldn't say she's not musical at all because she can play ukulele and I think she studied violin uh, when she was in junior high school uh, but she doesn't play regularly and she doesn't really get into it uh, not not the way I do you know actually playing in bands and making records and stuff like that so that's a whole other level So she can appreciate a good bass part, but there are things about the good bass part that, that she doesn't know because she's not a bass player herself. I think that's kind of what Dogen is getting at, but I think maybe something a little bit more profound than just playing bass. And he's going to go on and tell us a little bit more about that, he says. You might ask, how come I don't know it? It's because, this is Dogen answering, it's because only those with the eye of Buddha can see such things. Buddhas see the traces of other Buddhas, just like birds see the traces of other birds. If we are able to see these traces ourselves, now this is this is interesting. He switches gears here. First, he kind of puts puts it out there like, "Oh my gosh, uh, you know, I'm reading this as a non-Buddha, and I'm going, well, these things, these Buddhas, those guys see that I, I'm not going to be able to see." But then he gives us a little uh, a little opening here. He says, "If we are able to see these traces ourselves, it's because we are in the presence of Buddhas." So, I I think I would maybe demystify that a little bit by saying, I, I recognized my teachers as teachers. I recognized something special about Tim that a lot of people didn't recognize. And I recognized something special about Nishijima Roshi that, frankly, a lot of his students, a lot of people who sort of proudly called him his their, their teacher, I don't think they, they even noticed it about him. Uh, so you... If you are able to notice that, count yourself lucky, and try not to lose that. Uh, try not to get so arrogant that you think you know better than your teacher or something like that. And and uh, you know, I've seen that happen so many times where people. I, I've even been tempted to do it myself, uh, but I I've watched people push aside teachers, you know, because they're like, well, I know better than you old man, ha ha, poof, you know, and, and they go on and they've lost this great resource by not having enough uh, respect for it. And uh, that's just a really, really sad thing. But if you're able to see it yourselves, because you're in the presence of a Buddha, then uh, we can go on to what Dogen says, he says, then we might be able to compare the footprints they leave behind. So we might be able to see. Uh, their journey. If you don't understand this, then try tracing the paths left behind by Buddhas. If we can do that, we might be able to see the footprints we ourselves have left behind. And I've made a note in here in the text that ourselves is a translation of waga. That's our individual self as opposed to the kind of universal self which Dogen usually uses the word um, jiko to indicate and the last line of the whole thing is realizing the tracks of buddha's and the tracks of ourselves is called the buddha dharma so so just knowing our own our own tracks doesn't necessarily mean history as in what you know remembering what you did the other day and remembering how you got here and all that stuff just watched inception last night for the second time I watched it in the theater and then watched it on TV and there's this uh, this thing I guess it comes from people who study lucid dreaming you know when you realize that you're dreaming because the whole the, if you haven't seen the movie inception it's about these sort of um, spies who insert themselves into the dreams of Of people that they want to spy on. It's a kind of a science fiction movie where they have this sort of science fiction-y way of doing it that they never, you know, really explain in the movie. They just kind of gloss over how it's done. They show you some machines with the little tubes and things that are hooked up to people. But anyway, somehow they're getting into the dreams of other people. And the way you can tell that it's a dream is if during the dream you try to remember how you got where you are and you can't remember. I, I I don't know. I I've had lucid dreams before, but I've never tried that during a dream. I don't know if that works or not. But I think this is something people say. But it's not it's not like knowing your past and going okay. Well, since I had a past, since I can say that I, I had a cup of tea two hours ago, then I must be real because now I'm here and I'm peeing or something. <laughs> I don't know what your you know your your way of tra- tracing your own criteria. It's it's more like understanding uh, the journey in a more abstract way. I I think when I recognized my teachers as teachers, I didn't necessarily know their history. In fact, I still don't know. It it came up, it came to mind a a few years ago as a possible project for a book that I might write a biography of Nishijima Roshi because I'd met David Chadwick who wrote the biography of his teacher Shinryu Suzuki and it's a really good book. And I thought, well, maybe I could try to write a biography of Nishijima himroshi i gave up on that because i realized i don't know dookie about his uh, his past and i'd have to do a lot of work and a lot of digging to try to figure it out and i don't know if it's really all that worthwhile and and i don't know much about my my first teacher's past you know um, he's told me little bits and pieces dogan you know, we, they've constructed biographies of Dogen, but people who study Dogen usually will tell you that most of those Dogen biographies are bunk. They're just um, made up stories. Because Dogen does tell us a little bit of biographical information in Ben Doa. He spends a little time a couple of paragraphs explaining his his past doesn't really give you much and most of what you get is constructed through just finding the various little threads you can you can find in his writings where he does happen to to say something but he's not that interested in his own biography so, or his own autobiography, I guess, if it's your own, he's more interested in this kind of truth that transcends his biography, and that I think is what you perceive when you perceive the traces of uh, of what of what Buddha. How does he say it? I'm going to look at it again. The tracks of ourselves and the tracks of of the Buddhas. The 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 traces are not necessarily their history. So there you go, I've gone on quite long enough about this subject, and I've done yuibutsu yobutsu, which means I don't know what to do next, so... As I said uh, in a couple of podcasts ago, my email is bw at hardcorezen.info. That is bw, my initials bw at hardcorezen.info. And if you want to give me suggestions on something else I might do for a podcast, um, let them rip, because I've got a week to think of what to do next week when I record next week's podcast. And right now, I don't have a clue. I don't have an idea at all what I should do for my next podcast. So, So if you have... Have any ideas, uh, drop me a line and let me know. And, uh, and I hope you've enjoyed this and, and remember that I am supported by your donations. And if you want to donate to me, you can go to, uh, sorry, hardcorezen.info slash donate. That is hardcorezen.info slash donate. And there you will find links to my PayPal and Patreon accounts. Those are my main, really overwhelmingly main means of support are donations to those uh, through those Patreon and PayPal links. So I really appreciate your support. But as I said at the beginning of this podcast, uh, you don't have to support me if you don't want to. You don't got to pay. This is offered for free. So take it for free if you don't want to pay or if you can't pay, that's fine. Uh, So thank you very much, and we will talk to you next time. Uh, Have a good time all the time. Laters. Bye.